This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome, welcome to If You Don't Mind. I am Madeline Charrington. I am here. We're still going. How's everybody? I I really hope that you're not struggling too much. I know it's a very scary time. I'm not going to go into it too much because we're already thinking about coronavirus constantly. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to say we're all in this together and it's really corny, but Having that sense of community right now is really important Um, and I hope podcasts are giving you some sort of distraction. I hope this show is a good distraction. We're all about just getting really brave people to come on the show, to tell their story um, and to make you feel inspired. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, On today's episode, I speak to the lovely Stacey. She's quirky and kooky and funny and just made me pierce my pants quite a few times. Um, so Stacey wanted to come on the show to talk about her um, experience with getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder when she was younger and her journey into finding out not just what that, that diagnosis meant, but how to advocate for herself to get the right psychologist, the right psych- psychiatrist, the right medication. And now she all she wants to do is support others and um, try and improve the lives of others. She's very, very cool, very inspirational. Um, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, two things. Obviously, this is a phone interview because we are living in interesting times now. So the audio isn't perfect on her end, but it's still super um, easy to listen to. So apologies for that. This is just what we have to do in times like this. We adapt. Um, but secondly, in terms of a trigger warning today, obviously we do discuss um, things like uh, bipolar, uh, experiences with mania and depression, uh, suicidal ideation. So if you're not in the in the space to listen to that today, that's totally fine. Just come back when you're good to go. Um, so this is Stacy. I hope you enjoy it. She is fantastic. <music> record and can you hear me well yeah loud and clear crystal clear oh I like it when I'm crystal clear um (laughs) so you're in your car right now yes yeah and why are you in your car uh because my house can get chaotic around this time of day yes um my partner gets home from work and he's wound up from um everyone who's spinning out from COVID. Oh no. And then I've got my little dog Luna. She's a miniature dash hound. So she needs constant attention and my current housemate and her dog, her dog's an American Staffy oh, and Staffy. Yeah. So she's a big Amstaff and Luna and Hazel, they're best friends. So they go completely apeshit just running around the house. And then I've got a cat 
Rudy and he's in a spare bedroom at the moment with a cat run and he just whenever he hears me gets home he's just like meh like he's got really ugly meow <laughs> so with all of that combined I was like I'm going for a drive there's so, just no way it's gonna work <laughs> no there's nowhere quiet <laughs> we're in suburbia so yeah I went for a drive down to the um so kind of so like sugarcane fields mm-hmm. where I'm parked and I've just got this view of like an old farm gate and some sugarcane and it's really chill. I love that. I feel like if you can't, yeah, if you can't be in the studio with me, you need to be in a, a nice relaxed space. So I'm happy you're there. Yeah. Um, it's windy as well. So there's all the trees are moving and it's cute. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, well, <laughs> Stacey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you Thanks so for much having me. for uh, agreeing to be on the on the pod. I'm very excited to have a chat with you for the next 50 minutes or so. Yes. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to know if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about you and and what you do. Okay, so Stacy currently is a lifestyle support facilitator for two young men with cerebral palsy, uh, but my career didn't like my journey in my career didn't necessarily lead to that like these are recent sort of additions to the resume Mm -hmm. um so but I'm really finding that it's a good fit one guy is highly high functioning and is very witty has a dark sense of humor we hit it off I do a 24-hour shift a week with him and then my other guy he's actually non-verbal but he's published two kids books and I'm in the process of doing eight hours a week marketing his books so given the captive audience that we currently have of a lot of new to homeschooling mums and dads and families I decided to ramp up the social media aspect so that's what I'm doing from home so that's work side, but I always hate how people define themselves by just their job. Yes, so I know it's so weird that we do that. I do this I and this is who I am. It's yeah. Yeah. It's no. So Stacey right now, the work side, that's cool. And it's a big deal because it's the first time since I was diagnosed that I have actually been earning more than Centrelink. And that's a really big milestone for me. So I've become independent of the government, which is really cool. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and not that I don't appreciate their help through my struggles, but yeah, it's nice. Um, but yeah, so I've been with my partner of t- for two years, we think. We're not sure of the anniversary because it's all a bit um, <laughs> blasé. <laughs> Our first date was on the 27th of March and it was a life drawing class in Umundi at a pub so we had a beautiful sort of mother nature lady and the lady at the class stitched us up and made us do a um some intimate activities so I had to have my eyes closed and he stood behind me while he held my hand and we drew and it was very romantic but it was a lot for a first date for both of us intense yeah but for some reason it was just cruisy for us like he's He's kind of soulmate material. Not that I really believe in that cliche, but we're both as kooky as each other, so works well. That's what you need. And you want someone who understands you're crazy and like yeah. fully gets behind it. Yeah, completely. Like we, one of our second dates was op shopping, and we both agreed that 
the most important purchase of the day was a paper mache alligator head that still hangs on our wall. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my most prized possession. <laughs> um, yeah, that. so that's that's Andrew. He's a big part of my life. And so then we've got Luna the dog and that's our baby. I hate people saying that because it's really corny, but <laughs> we don't actually – plan on having kids because he personally isn't able to and I with having bipolar it kind of throws a cog in the whole you know potential for children like it's obviously doable but it's um it complicates things it's an yeah yeah it's there's many different aspects that are concerning like there's the pregnancy itself there's the post-pregnancy, there's, you know, what happens if I have an episode later in their life and I'm not there for them or if they see a different side of me that, you know, like it's just I'm a big picture thinker Mm. and for me I feel like there are many, many, many children in the world and Andrew and I both discussed that when we're really well-established and we own our own home that we would like to foster an older, older child and maybe adopt, like do that sort of thing rather than bring another child in the world to take little cute Instagram photos of. Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of our plan um, without having a plan. But, yeah, so because we've, we've fostered a heap of dogs, so it will be the next progression, I guess, is humans. Yeah. I know. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. we though, our dogs are our babies. Like, it's, yeah. it's gross, but it's also true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. She's, I have, like, a whole cupboard full of clothes. I'm that person. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm so bad. Anyway, um, but, yeah, what else is there? So I grew up in Nambour on the Sunshine Coast, and I'm close with my mum and my stepdad. And they're awesome and they have a little mechanics that I pop into all the time, not recently, but used to do deliveries for. Um, So, yeah, but I've created a bit of a community in our street. Like we're just renting our house, um, but with this whole COVID stuff, I went and popped little letters in everyone's letterbox with some in an envelope with some colourful pom-poms because most of them have kids and invited them to join this Facebook group so that we could all stay in touch. And we've got like 16 members on my page and they're posting craft of what they did. And I really value a sense of community and I, it's really important for my own mental health, but also just feels really good. Like it feels old school. I think I'm a really old soul. So I think it's really interesting as well. Like Obviously, no one wants COVID to be happening. It's not good. It's not great. But mm. the amount of people banding together and the sense of community that I've seen in so many different instances, it's so it's so interesting how we're kind of going back to our roots, as you said. Like, we are now required or we, we, we really need to be, you know, supporting each other in this this period, which is very uncertain and very mm-hmm. isolating. So I love mm-hmm. that. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it too. And I know it's, it might come across as like sadistic or I don't know, opportunistic, but I just, I love seeing people going to the post office and posting letters because they can't, you know, like that's a a new way. Like everyone's resorting to the old fashioned old school ways. Like they're picking up the phone and talking. Do you know how, like before all this, I was raging because everyone's just text messaging. I would try and call someone and they just would never ring, never answer. And then they'd text me five minutes later, like, Hey, what's up? 
And you're like, well, if you had have answered my call, you would know this. Yes. It's like people were having a phobia of their phones and it's like a millennial thing or whatever, but I hate it. So I'm just reveling in this whole horrific um, social situation. Oh, I'm the same. Like I, when I'm at work, like everybody's like, oh, send an email. I'm like, nah, I'm going to call them. Thanks. Like I'm going to yeah. give them a call. <laughs> And you need that connection. And I think that people who've been through mental health struggles appreciate that even more. Yeah. Um, yes. And confident people, I guess, as well. So, yeah. I want to kind of go back in time. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, when I was reading, when you first got in touch with me and I was reading your email, it was just the way you write is very interesting. I don't know how – I can't explain it. You've just got this very – different way of like expressing yourself and it was kind of like this sto- like very interesting story and I was like oh what's gonna happen next I was just like <laughs> I was so I was so intrigued um so kudos to you for keeping me <laughs> super cool <laughs> but um one of the first things you kind of said in this email to me was you kind of had lived quite a, a long period of your life without knowing that you had kind of any mental health um condition so what what kind of led you to that discovery? Okay, so if we back it right up, I was always an outgoing kid in school mm. and I was always like the class clown and getting sent out because I was disruptive and some people had mentioned ADD but not seriously. Just even my friends as we got older in high school were like, have you got ADD? Like you just – out of control and I'd just be spontaneous I'd do anything anyone was like oh you should just jump on that table and do that yep done it was hilarious you know I was just making a joke and then as you know life goes like I was all I'm a bigger sized girl but I adore my body and I always have and I've learned that that's actually quite rare especially growing up you know, with, I had a friend who was, had severe body issues and she was smaller than me. So I was always a bit confused. Like, why don't I care? Like, I love my body. Like, no issue. Like I'm got bigger fish to fry, you know? And so that was cool. Like, um, props to bipolar for letting me get through without that. And, um, yeah. And then, so as I had my you know, young, like my teens and then my early 20s. I moved from the Sunshine Coast when I was 19 to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I've never been able to stay at jobs for long. Like I am a good worker, but I get bored and I would look around for something else and a bigger challenge. And I just felt like, oh, I'm done here. Like this is all I can learn. All right, next job. So my resume, if I, I added, actually wrote up a list and I'm like, at more than 45 jobs I've had in my life. That's including like market stalls and food stalls and different little bits and pieces, but employment. (laughs) And how old are you now? 31. Okay. So that's a lot of jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And, um, like, so if I put that on my actual resume, I would never get hired. (laughs) I'd be like, what "What the hell? (laughs) This chick cannot hold down a job. Um, but yeah, I never was irresponsible. Like I always found another job, gave my notice, secured the job, started, always had to have like a whole new uniform. Like everything was very particular. Like I needed, you know, new shoes, new shirt, like just there's that if in retrospect, looking back and that little bit of hypermania, like everything needs to be mm. bit of, bit of manic spending, bit of stuff like that. So those are signs in retrospect, but my actual lead up and the big 
ex- like the episode, the psychosis, ha- it didn't happen until I was 25. Mm-hmm. So I'd been working in the community sector in Brisbane. So I started in hospitality, had enough of that, got into admin. Then I was job searching at um, an employment service place in Brisbane and then they hired me as their receptionist Wow! <laughs> while I was job searching there. <laughs> And, um, then I stayed there and moved through the community sector. I did uh, a bit of volunteering at a homeless shelter in um, Spring Hill and then um, did a temp role in immigration housing and then I ended up in community housing, which was managing about 120 housing like properties that were co-op housing, which was a really old-fashioned model where the tenants used to manage themselves. So I went in there as, what was I, 24 and going, you know, I have tattoos, I have piercings and I'm just like, hey, guys, I'm going to take over and just manage all your stuff now. So see ya you know, mm. control that you used to have. Yeah. So I was battling up a, you know, like I came up against a brick wall with a lot of them. However, I'm self, self-claimed quite charismatic and lovely. So I managed to woo a lot of the tenants into really getting on board with me and working together and trying different techniques. Cause it was all new to me. Like I'd never been a property manager. So anyway, that all happened. And then I'm I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but about a year into my role there, I started getting really distracted and lost in my role. Like I Mm. had one of my tenants go to jail, then found out like when I cleaned up his house, there was just needles everywhere, which he'd bat from me. And I had another uh, tenant who was suicidal and I had a lot of stresses coming from that job that I think that I thought I was a bit invincible and it all just kind of crept up on me. And I ended up with that out of kind of nowhere, just not being able to move out of my bed. And with the distraction at work, like I just, I was going off and going to like a vacant property and just sleeping in the middle of the day. Like I was just disappearing. And then I was, um, picking up things for free off Gumtree and dropping them home when I was saying that I was going to do an inspection or, you know, just lying and not, it's out of character for me. Like I was always a really hard worker with good work ethics and it was just, things were going weird. So after that, yeah, like that was kind of the downward spiral and up with depression. So I was probably, if we're going in Aussie sizes, I usually set it about like a size 18, 20 mm. at that time. In the six months that followed from that, like I got let go from my job. My boss was savvy with mental health and she's like, you're not in a good place. I can't have you here. Yeah. And so I got let go compassionately. She's was beautiful. And then I just laid in my bed for six months, didn't shower, didn't eat, had a boyfriend that was a drug dealer. He was just, it was toxic. And I got down to a size probably 12. Wow, like that's a lot of weight loss in a, a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. And they, so they, I eventually gave in and, and went on antidepressants and the antidepressants that they put me on, well, any probably would have done it, but they turns out that they sent me up too high and then that's okay. when my bipolar was triggered because it sent me from being way low to an equilibrium up to a manic state 
So wow. that's when I experienced a psychosis. So I was triggered by my my ex-boyfriend was opening a gym in a warehouse yep. before it was kind of a thing and grand opening was happening and I was having all these grandiose sort of ideas in retrospect, you can see this, but I had a lot of pressure on me to get flyers out and to get equipment put it together and blah, blah, blah. And then one night when we had a few people over doing some things, I just took off and we're in um, a Brisbane industrial estate and like East Brisbane and I just disappeared and my memory goes a bit blurry from there. Mm-hmm. But I do recall sleeping behind a dumpster, like a big skip bin. And then I spent the whole night with like wandering and hiding in the industrial estate because people, all the people that were there helping him were looking for me. And I was hiding in bushes and in hedges and just hiding behind, you know, doors. And I, I didn't, <laughs> I don't remember much of it, but the only thing I remember in the morning, cause I hadn't slept in the morning when it was sunlight, my mum's voice, and she lives obviously up here on, on the coast. Her, her voice was, you know, Stacey. And uh, that was the only thing that obviously got through to my head. Yeah. So I popped my head up out of this hedge and, um, just went, Oh, mum. And then they kind of took over from there. And again, it's a bit blurry, but apparently we went back to my share house. I was, completely obsessed with um, germs and hygiene. Like I'm not obsessed normally, but my hallucinations and things like that tend to go into like a germ, germaphobe sort of area, yep. which is quite odd because I don't care about being grubby if I have to. <laughs> so and, um, anyway, so I was obsessed with my feet like because I'd been walking around in barefoot in this industrial estate. So I was in the shower scrubbing my feet on the phone to Lifeline, calling them, telling them like they were useless and they weren't helping me and I was just so fat shit at the time. I know that's derogatory for no, people. No, but it's kind of like, yeah. I that's how I felt. Like that's in retrospect, it's just like I was not there. Like I was I was being taken for a ride. The way I describe it to people, I don't know if you've seen Men in Black, but yep. you know the guy with the cockroach guy who's like sugar and water, you know, that guy? <laughs> and he's, it turns out he's got the dude in his head yeah. controlling him, the tiny alien. That someone like I was the sugar and water guy like <laughs> I was just being like scrubbing my feet and they eventually got me in the car and on the way to the hospital um because no a, a couple of other friends turned up to help mum take me there and on the way there I was insisting trying to insist that I get new pajamas that I get some ice cream that I get magazines like I needed all these things in order to you know, go to hospital. Mm. (laughs) um, But yeah, I went there. I was admitted to the PA in Brisbane and I stayed there for three weeks where early on they diagnosed me with bipolar and it took me probably a week to come, come down and be doped out with lithium, which is just another story. I hate that stuff. Mm. And yeah, then the next two weeks I remember pretty clearly and I made friends with this young stoner who was 17 who'd paraplegic and was suicidal. He used to sneak me out the back with this couple and we used to smoke joints. And then I swapped my hairdryer for a packet of cigarettes at one point. Wow. 
Yep, I was keen for a ciggy. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't blame you. It sounds like a very stressful environment. Yeah. and um, the need for self presentation wasn't as important as the need for not self soothing. Yeah, so 100%. no one cared if my cow lick was blow dried down <laughs> my fringe. No, and I mean like yeah. at this. So obviously, once you got to hospital, you were you were still manic. But when you you started to come down from that mania how how did you react to that diagnosis were you kind of like did you did you believe them were you kind of not certain or I was just completely um confused and in despair like I didn't really know much about bipolar I had the naive sort of stereotypical understanding of the ups and downs but I didn't know anything more than that Mm. actually did have like a little bit more understanding than others because when I was younger I was one of the I was 19 18 before I moved to Brisbane and I witnessed um a suicide on the highway um I found out afterwards like that's a long story and it's not it's not lovely but afterwards I found out that she had what they called to me was manic depression and then I researched it a little bit after that so I understood that her actions weren't really her own Mm. so I kind of knowing that helped me sort of normalize it a touch but I was just I couldn't believe it I was in denial I was like no this is not cool like I just thought like everything's over now like everything's all over. I've got no chance of having any sort of normalcy. This is just a life sentence. I may as well just finish it all. And yeah. And I think the way that people often portray these, these illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar is, is as if it's a life sentence. Hmm. And that's the thing, like it's a, it's not, I mean, yes, it's so much more complex than treating something like anxiety and depression. But if all you have in your mind is that like, that version of bipolar, which just shows people like completely off kilter. Like, yeah. of course you're going to be like, well, that's, I'm, I'm fucked. Like, yeah. it's the thing. If all you see is negative, 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 you know, oh. you just, that's, you're going to assume that's what your life is. Yeah. And also, you know, you get given that label while you're still in the psych ward and you're surrounded by other people with that same label that are not, you know, and you just think, oh, there's no hope. Like this is going to, I'll be back here soon. You know, this is just where you're at when you're there. And then you get out and it's like, you know, I was still dating this guy and he was in no way, shape or form interested in learning about it or helping, providing me with as much weed as I wanted. Like it was just, again, still toxic. It wasn't until I moved back to the coast and ditched him and started, you know, getting my shit together that things started to improve. But even then, I'd say it took three years to actually feel like I had any sort of hope, like from the day I went to hospital. And what did that, I guess, I mean, you don't have to go into detail, but what did that three-year process entail? Was it seeing lots of different like specialists and trying lots of different things in terms of treatment? Like what are kind of some of the things you tried? Yeah, so one of the first things that I'll never forget was mum – So my parents, bless them, mum has always done her utmost and so has my stepdad. And But my stepdad had a little bit more of an old-fashioned view at the start. Like he was Mm. 
a bit unaware of how mental health worked and so was mum but she just you know tried a bit harder to educate herself and ring in around and she was just desperate to help me because she didn't know what to do and yeah so we kind of mum organized for us to go to a bipolar support group meeting and it's lovely that it happens and that it's available for people but my I was still smoking cigarettes at the time and I just had a cigarette outside and I'm, you know, wigging out. I think I'd been home for like two months Mm. and we walk in there and it's this, you know, at the time I was very sensitive to fluorescent lighting. I don't know if that triggers anyone else's anxiety, but I just walk into this really stark sort of clinical room in a community centre and there's a room, like a circle of chairs and be making it sound worse and it might have been my perception of it at the time where I was at but this I just sat in halfway through that meeting and there's just everyone saying what they're struggling with and how bad things are and oh how do you guys deal with this and oh I'm feeling this way and there was no inspiration and no positivity like it was just it left me completely hopeless. Like I went backwards three steps after going to that meeting. I walked out halfway and just went and sat on the grass and smoked cigarettes because I was just like, there is no, I don't want to be in there. Mm. My parents stayed in there just to try and learn a bit. But anyway, so that was kind of the start. And then from there, yeah, I saw a few different um, psychologists and one psychiatrist who I thought was sweet and she kept me on the lithium and I just kept doing that and seeing her but psychologists I just couldn't click with like um everyone is different and you've really got to find like it's a tricky one to find a match so tricky and you're expected to do it like straight off the bat yeah just like go get a psychologist it's like done yeah done okay cool um so yeah, so I met one was in like this, ugh, in the middle of um, a Sunshine Coast town, and it was in like this old wood veneer '70s sort of office. Which, by the way, I would normally like love because I love retro stuff. But yeah. she was just drab, and she gave me this paperwork that was literally from the '70s, and she just said, "Just take this home and read it, <laughs> and come back." And just like, <laughs> okay sweet did it came back take this also home and read it how do you feel on this scale and I was like yeah I'm never coming back (laughs) shit I feel shit on the scale yeah it's because of you on the scale of you I feel zero um yeah so anyway it was a bit of a journey so meanwhile I've been seeing this psychiatrist at the Kiwana private hospital and um I thought she was lovely and we'd, we'd been making some progress because when you're learning to manage a new disorder, you just kind of don't know what's good, yeah. you know, like you just think, oh, this is good, I'm I'm alive, I'm not feeling like I want to, you know, take my own life right now, so I must be good. And this was while I was on lithium and I had a lot of side effects. Like I was completely incontinent, like I would drink, I was drinking no over-exaggeration, eight litres of water a day. And I was just on the toilet. I couldn't even make it to the toilet, just, you know, weeing everywhere. (laughs) I've I've heard it's a really, like, I mean, a tough drug to take. Yeah. You get so dehydrated. I had insomnia as well, and I don't know if that was related to the lithium, but I've heard that it can 
be associated yeah. and my longest stint with no sleep and I thought I was going to like I was ready to jump off a cliff just because it was so infuriating was um I think it was nine days that <gasps> I didn't sleep nine days yeah with not a wink oh like God, not the impact on your brain like brain and body like oh, everything far out mate that's nuts yeah you know what the hardest part was weirdly that the night time because yeah. you don't usually expend energy through your sleep you don't get hungry but when you're awake you get hungry so you need like breakfast like middle midnight dinner like <laughs> like 2 a.m dinner. dinner i have midnight like, dinner and i don't have lithium so yeah it's like a breakfast dinner like brinner you need like brinner in between anyway insomnia yeah. is horrible it is yes i've yep. had it before it's, it's yep. the fucking worst yep so anyway um so I was kind of struggling with that for for like a year or so and then I kept with um this psychiatrist and I ditched a few more psychologists and just wasn't one was a kid psychologist because they're like oh you seem really like youthful and <laughs> and fun go see a kid psychologist so I was like yeah okay and then she started doing this frog chart like how how many jumps on the chart do you feel and I was just like oh, I'm out of here and so I couldn't I so couldn't upset. even hey oh my god I was just like yeah no you and your frogs can just fuck off and so <laughs> bailed on her so I think I've I went through about four different psychologists before finding my my amazing psychologist now um yes I want to hear because I know we we spoke briefly about him yesterday yeah yeah tell the story of how you met him okay so I'd okay I've got to preface it with another story though go ahead okay so before okay so I went and visited a friend when she was leaving and I had to say goodbye and drive back to the coast from Brisbane I was bawling my eyes out driving way too fast I was definitely manic and I was doing 160 on the highway in my car and I got booked so I lost my license for six months so my I was unknowingly to me instantly triggered into a huge manic episode and this was three three and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and I ended up convincing everyone around me and myself that it would be a good idea to move to Melbourne to uh so there's better public transport there so that would be smart so, and oh, I'd always okay. wanted to do it. Like, why not? Why not? You know, just do it, you know? And so I did. So I organized a, a unit. I sent all my stuff down. I had a big garage sale. Um, and yeah, I moved to Melbourne and I lasted, I think, four days. And by the time I'd got there and lived there for four days and also adopted a cat beforehand, that's Rudy, <laughs> the noisy one. Um, I had been become completely manic and I hadn't actually taken my meds from the day that I had found out about the loss of license, but it wasn't intentional. It, I'd just been that triggered that heavily that I just stopped. Like it just wasn't part of my, what about it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm free reigning, like just free ball and around Melbourne, just a mess. And so my new housemate of four days had to call the ambulance and I went down into the, I think it's the Alfred in Melbourne and mum was there within, I think 26 hours or something. She picked me up and we got an apartment for the night when packed up my unit 
in my room in this unit and then moved me back home. So I lived in Melbourne for four days. Hooray. Hey, so more than and then, me. I've never lived in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rudy was home in a week's time. So that was all good. So, but then what had happened when I had off of my medication was I had this realization that I'd been a zombie for this whole time on lithium mm. And I had no taste of myself. And then when I was like raw dog in it in Melbourne, I was like, oh my God, Stacey's epic. I need her back. Like this is bullshit. So then I was on the hunt for like a new team. Like I was like, fuck all these guys. I need someone better. I need a better team around me. So that's when I started looking for a new psychologist and a new psychiatrist because this psychiatrist I'd asked her in the past whether I should try something different to lithium and she's like no it's the golden ticket for you just stay on it you're fine and Mm. anyway so I was like not pissing them off and doing this and so as everyone in this sort of everyone who's dealt with professionals would know a psychiatrist can take up to like two or three months to get in to see yes oh my god it's ridiculous it's actually so backwards. It's like fucked it, up. Yeah, it's fucked up. When you the person you need the most is so far away from you, and so and yeah, and so inaccessible for some so many people if they can't afford it or if there's no way for them to get it. I don't know at a reduced cost. It's just yeah. Fucked. Even if you can get the money together, it's the timing as well. Like it's so crucial because you need to be putting drugs into your body if you choose to. Yeah. And what can happen in the meantime if you're self-diagnosing or you're, you know, self-medicating, I should say, you know, (laughs) you can end up in a bad place. And, yeah, but so while I was manic and, you know, changing my meds and things like that, I was ringing around and I'd called, I don't know, like – 10 something I don't know how many psychologists trying to get through and some receptionists were like oh sorry he can't talk to you they don't take direct calls I was like right see ya and then the ones who would talk to me if I didn't get a good vibe I was just you know I was grilling them I was manic talking a million miles an hour I was like hey so have you worked with many people with bipolar how many times have you done it have you had much success like what sort of techniques do you do like cognitive behavioral therapy like like just blasting them yes and I figure if they couldn't handle me at my manic, they don't deserve me at my best. So <laughs> I um, I love how people usually use that like in terms of relationships, but you've just used it in terms of like you and your psychiatrist. Psychi- <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> I um, get through to another guy and I'm like, oh, here we go. And he's up in Noosa and I'm like, oh, it's a bloody mission, you know, Noosa, whatever. And I didn't have, you know, my license. So that was going to be a mission so but I was like oh, I'll give him a call anyway and here I go blah, 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 blah. and I said I'm I need to talk to someone about you know like becoming part of my support network I'm really I'm being very particular about who's in it I need someone who can really you know guide me I don't want to be on you know I'm, nece- I'm not necessarily want to be on meds for my whole life I want someone who can support me through that journey I want to do cognitive behavioral therapy like blah 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 and then I just did a big big word vomit and he just goes Stace he goes Stacey do you mind if I call you Stace I'm like no that's fine he goes look I'm sitting on the beach at Noosa and I've got a view of the ocean I've got nothing at all on my agenda I'm here for you just to tell me about yourself and talk for as long as you like I'd love to hear more about it wow. and yeah 
that and I just me want to, like that makes me very emotional because like can you imagine <sighs> if that was the reaction that everybody got like oh, it would be unreal so yeah so my psychologist and I have been I've been with him for three years now and he like first of all mum had to drive me up there to see him because <laughs> public transport is bad enough on the coast but to try and get to Noosa is a whole nother story so got it I, but mum understood how important it was so we made it work and did Saturdays and he's very flexible so that was awesome and mum would go off and get a coffee and read her book for an hour while I went and offloaded <laughs> But one of the funny things was our first session, I walk in and he goes, oh, look, I know this sounds, this seems really impersonal, but I actually need to get you to fill out some paperwork to start off our journey together Mm. because so we can track your progress and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. And as I started filling it out, because bear in mind, I'd been on lithium you know, six months before and then I'd, I'd changed, changed it and I'd been depressed and all sorts of the, the range. And so I start filling it out and I'm like, I said, am I filling this out as like manic Stacy? Cause I was manic at the time and, or zombie Stacy when I was on the lithium or depressed Stacy or stable Stacy. And he just didn't say anything. And he went to his cupboard and he got three more Book, um, booklets out and he just goes let's do all of them <laughs> so, when I'm um when I'm manic I get really creative and do lots of little doodle drawings everywhere like not of doodles but drawing like doodles everywhere dicks everywhere no I um I draw little pictures and so on the top of the zombie one there was like a zombie sort of time-lapse looking thing across the top of the paperwork <laughs> and then manic was all like doing cartwheels and it was just everyone had little drawings on top so. <laughs> <laughs> It was quite funny. And, yeah, so we've been together. I say we've been together. It's like a relationship, but, but it, it feels like it. It yeah. is in a way. I get it that. Is. It so is. So, yeah, we've been together for three years. It's going really well. <laughs> and I went from seeing him every two weeks and now we see each other every about three months. Yep. And it's purely just to check in and keep him up to speed so that if everything does fall apart, he's not completely unaware of where I've what's been happening mm. and but if, yeah he's just pumped at where I am in life and he makes me pumped about where I am in life and my partner's not necessarily like super vocal about how proud he is of my progress mm. um, even though I know he is so it's really validating to go there and hear it from him yeah for sure so, yeah wow I love that you have found this person who just like gets you and yeah. you've been able to like fucking click with because it's so important. Like as as we were saying before, it can sometimes take so long to find that person. And oh. I think and I think if you are struggling to find that person, it obviously can sometimes elongate that 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 recovery pr- process, which can be super demoralizing. Mm. But that feeling when you find that person who you can talk to objectively and who doesn't judge you and who understands what you're trying to say it's such a freeing thing yeah it is yeah I was pretty resistant to psychology in the first place like yeah I really didn't want to 
go and see someone. I wanted, I was too proud. Like I really wanted to just get it sorted myself or just not do it at all and just give up. Yep. Like, you know, he said in those first three years, like how did that look for you and your journey to getting to a better place at one point? And this, I'll never forget this night. I, um, I've been, I've had suicidal fantasies is how they refer to it, I think. Mm -hmm. So I've not ever attempted suicide myself, but I've sorted out in my head how it would happen and why and how good it would feel not to have to deal with it anymore because the pain's too much. And Mm. like I've been, the earlier years, I suffered more of the downs than the ups Mm -hmm. and more recently it's been more of the ups but even then not really it's all been pretty stable but yeah one of the down times I said to my mum I was like I need you to come over to my place um got to discuss something really important with you she's like oh um yeah sure what when when I said oh just one of like ASAP sort of thing so she came over and I'd written an entire list of funeral plans mm. so I said to her, look, this is what I want to happen should I not be able to handle this anymore. She knew the pain that I'd been through, like when I was at my lowest. Mm. And I said, I don't expect for you to approve or understand, um, but if I need to do this, I need you to, I need to know, first of all, whether or not you can afford it. Um, If it's going to affect you and Jim, should I, you know, be getting any sort of, you know, insurance or like, (laughs) what do I need to do? Like I was trying to be very considerate in my suicidal plans. Mm. Um, but yeah, mum and I had this night where it was just her and I planning my funeral. Like how horrible would that have been for her? You know? I know. But I'm like, yeah, it's so hard because I hate that whole thing of like, oh, it was it was really selfish for that person to do that, or it was you know how could they do that to their family? And it's like being being unwell, like having a mental illness and and taking your own life. That is the equivalent of you know getting sick and and passing away because of it. It's because you're so <laughs> sick, you know you can yeah. no you cannot want, no longer go on, and it's just I, it makes sense to me. I understand. Hmm. Yeah. So, but. We got through that and I never had to, you know, do that, obviously, because mm. otherwise you'd be talking to a ghost. So that would be really groundbreaking. Very groundbreaking. Um, <laughs> you'd be number one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so what the last few years, so I was abusing marijuana for quite a while there. So I went from having that toxic ex-boyfriend where I was smoking a lot to moving home and still smoking here and there and hiding it from my parents. And then when I moved from their place and was in different different houses where I moved from one to the other because I just couldn't didn't feel comfortable and something irksome would happen so I had to get out and I was just very irrational for for a few years there. Mm. And then I made friends with a few different crowds and we just got heavily into smoking weed it was just numbing everything and you convince yourself that it's fixing things Mm. which is just like I'm not an idiot when it comes like I'm not a a stupid person but I still my mind managed to convince me like yeah it's therapeutic like you're relaxing you're winding down like this is good it's self-care 
Like, you know, it's just self care, therefore it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can justify anything if I call it self care. Yeah. And, but yeah, it wasn't until my partner uh, came along and we had that beautiful first date and then we, I fell really hard for him and he just goes, look, when you are sober or straight, whatever you want to call it, cause I'm not a big drinker, but when I'm not stoned, you are amazing. You're intelligent. You're articulate. It's so fun to be with you. Soon as you have weed, you are dumb as dog shit, boring. It's like talking to a brick wall. And he goes, it's, it's me or the weed. Like you need to decide. And it was hands down him. Like not, no, like it took a little while. Like I engaged with a, um, a free drug counselor in the area Mm. that I found and tried to get my housemate to quit with me as well because she wanted to and she tried a little bit but I managed to succeed don't get me wrong here and there now like I can have like a puff at a party and just enjoy that little bit of a get a buzz on like oh yeah woo which the parties don't happen often, but when they do, I can. We're old now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But there's no need to be like, I've, it's completely not part of my life anymore. And because of that, my memory improved, my motivation improved, my relationship improved, my, you know, just everything improved. And you couldn't have convinced me of that without actually having stopped smoking weed. So it's been, yeah, pretty much two years since I've smoked weed regularly other than the odd puff at a party. It's probably like four times and I've never felt better. Like I feel so happy and my brain is clear and I'm feeling clever and I'll be forever grateful to him for putting that ultimatum in front of me. Wow. Mm. It's the thing like obviously like I'm, I'm very, I'm a big proponent of if you want to take drugs, go ahead, do that. But if mm-hmm. you identified that drug taking is making your mental health worse mm-hmm. and you want to do something about it, power to you. Give it a go. Yeah. yeah. Give it a go. And that's the thing. And weed is one of those things where it can be so good for some people, so not good for other people. Like I know people who smoke weed every day and have done so for the last 40 years and they're fine. Yeah. There are other people who are just like, it's not for me. No. And that's fine. Yeah. And, um, I would talk to my psychiatrist. So, oh, we haven't talked about my psychiatrist. So I wanted um, I wanted a new one, right? So because the old one was giving me the lithium and I was off her when mm. I came back from Melbourne, so I ditched her. I actually did go and see her once when I got back and said, look, I refuse to go on lithium again. I need to wean off it. I'm, you know, I'm free-balling right now. Like I need to get old Stacey back. And she refused. So that's when I bailed on her. And by the time I found my new guy, um, yeah, I went to my first session with him and he was in the top of Nambour. He's got like this beautiful office where there's like, so the first one she was in like a hospital room with like a hospital bed and just fluorescent lighting again, the aesthetic. No, not nice. So he's got like this warm lighting lamp, brown Chesterfield couch, rugs, big old wooden desk with like the leather inlay, a big bookcase with leather bound books because he's important. And um, <laughs> these sheer curtains with a view over Nambour, which it's um, it's interesting because I have like, good memories of Nambour and then some 
like I was assaulted when I was 15 in Nambour, um, sexually assaulted. So it's kind of odd because the memory is fragmented. I don't know if you know, but it's just like I can't really remember it. Yep. But I've experienced PTSD from it. So it's – anyway, looking over Nambour is kind of bittersweet because it's where I grew up and I have so many good memories, but then there's always that just one spot that is <laughs> a bit weird. That makes it hard, yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of almost like power back to me because I'm like up over it going like I'm sorting my shit fuck you. Mm. So anyway, so I go in there and he says to me, oh, okay, so tell me about your, your previous psychiatrist, you know, telling, talking about who she was and where she was. And I said, oh yeah, you know, Dr. Such and Such at, um, at Kiwana Private Hospital. Oh yeah. And in the hospital, what do you, what do you sort of associate with hospitals? Like good stuff, bad stuff. And I said, oh, pretty bad stuff. Like the mental health world was pretty bad. And he's just like, oh, do you think that's the best place to start your healing process then? And I was like, hmm, this, this is true. This yeah, is probably <laughs> not. Probably not, yeah. So, and then I look around his office and I'm like, yeah, this is me. Like this is my aesthetic. I'll, I felt comfortable there. And for the first probably six months he turned off the light in the room for me. So it was just dark and yeah. we just chatted. So, yeah. But anyway, I like him. And it's funny because I needed different things from my, my team. Like psychologist is cruisy and like gives me hugs whereas psychiatrist I feel like you're paying like big money for a big learned yes. you know person I wanted him in like a suit and he he's all tall and wears ties and so the future for me I think is um looking pretty bright I'm pretty pretty pumped on it I'm so fucking stoked that that's how it's going for you I I'm really happy I mean you mm. had such a yeah, like such an intense like last decade really. <laughs> yes. So props to you for like getting to this point. I guess oh shit, what time? Okay, we're nearly out of time. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. What I ask everybody. So um so if there was if there's some person out there, a young person perhaps who's kind of recently got that diagnosis of bipolar specifically because that's that's your lived experience, what yeah. would you say to them in terms of, you know, uh starting their recovery journey and, and advice to kind of how, how that's going to be. And, and, and what, what would you say is, you know, the best thing that they can do right now? Oh man. So given that it was six years ago that I was diagnosed, I feel like the space around mental health has changed even from then till now mm. for the better. Yes. So I guess it's hard because when I was first, first diagnosed, no one could have said anything that got through to me. Mm. Like I was in my own head, big, there was a gigantic wall around me. So I think the most important thing that I learned is expressing my needs to my loved ones. Yes. And if you have that support network, if, if you don't, finding one externally, whether or not that be like a young person can access, you know, headspace and all those sort of things. But Mm. if like, for example, I had to swallow my pride and say to my mum, I need you to come over and clean my room. Like I cannot do it. And I need you to find me a psychologist. I cannot do it. Like don't be afraid to admit your 
where you're struggling with things, if Mm. they're practical, if you need a cuddle, like whatever it is that you need, just say it because your family are wigging out. Like Mm. if they're not used to it, they're probably flipping out and just want to do anything. And sometimes they just push their own sort of agendas on you. Like do this, do that, like know your rights it's hard to say that because at the time you don't really know them. You work them out over time, but it just feel like, look, have a, have a think like, what do I need? Like if I need space, just be like, look, I need space. I need to, I need to address this in a month, you know, like I need to digest this Mm. or whatever you really need. Like just, it's, it's a really hard question to answer because I really, no, I think you're doing brilliantly. I feel like what you're saying is advocate for yourself. Like be yeah, your definitely. Advocate. Yeah. 100%. Be your own advocate, but also give yourself some grace to not know what you're advocating for yourself yet. Yes. Because you'll learn that as you learn how to accept your diagnosis. Because it can be really overwhelming to have what you feel like at the time is a big label slapped on you, mm. but you'll realize it doesn't identify you later. Like you, all I felt like, I felt like I had tattooed on my forehead, like bipolar hmm. at first, but as time goes on, like I'm got back tattooed on my head, Stacy, you know, like that's, I, you know, you find yourself again, like you're not your diagnosis. Like you are yourself still. Hmm. It's just for a while. You're just like, bam, this label and every word and every article someone sends you and every pamphlet your mom shoves in your face like it'll all have that word on it and it's like yeah don't label me like <laughs> I'm yeah. just Stacy yeah yeah I'm Stacy like I love up? that oh yeah. wow thank Stacy thank you so much you've been an absolute joy to talk to um yeah thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me I feel like I it feels like such a relief to just kind of share this story because I feel like everyone in my life is kind of sick of hearing it. (laughs) Well, I loved it. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope everyone likes listening to me waffle. They will. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I hope you liked that one. She's very funny and she's super like down to earth and a hundred percent herself, which I find very refreshing. Um, I think it makes for really good storytelling when people are kind of unfiltered in a way, but yeah, Stacy was definitely super fun to talk to. Um, guys, before I go, I am going to do my little spiel as I usually do. Um, if you want to interact with me, you can. You can go to uh, Facebook and type in, if you don't mind, you'll see the page. Um, I think it's like the first first thing you'll see when you search it. So that's kind of cool. Um, if you go to Instagram and type in, if you don't mind podcast, you'll find the pod there. Um, if you want to get in contact with me and be on the show, have a chat, that kind of thing, you can reach me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. Um, really, really, really would love if anyone out there who has iTunes, because apparently this is the only place you can do it, like, you know, like an iPhone, if you can rate and review me, uh, that would be amazing. 
Um, And finally, if you would like to become a patron of the podcast, you can go to Patreon, type in If You Don't Mind, you'll find the show there, and you can give as little as $2 a month to support this thing that I'm doing. (laughs) Um, Guys, as usual, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another, and especially during this time of uncertainty and isolation and panic, if you can talk to someone and and hear their story and, and... find out what they're going through, please do, because it really will change your perspective and and how you move in the world. So again, please stay safe, please be kind, and I'll see you next time.